Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Rene Vangustine, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at upcoming China travel plans by U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and J.P. Morgan Chief Jamie Dimon. We'll also take a look at data from the recent May Day holiday. We'll start with a couple of separate upcoming travel plans by the top U.S. diplomat and also one of the top U.S. bankers. Anthony Blinken told the Washington Post he hopes to visit China later this year after an earlier planned visit in February was scrapped over the now infamous balloon incident. Meanwhile, sources separately told Reuters that Jamie Dimon plans to visit China later this month for the first time since the pandemic. So, Renee, we'll look uh, more closely at these two visits separately shortly, but what can we say about them collectively? Is this a kind of olive branch coming from America after an extended period of acrimony between the U.S. and China? Um, I don't think so. I don't think that uh, the two need to be looked at in, uh, you know, as a package. Um, I think that... Uh, they each follow uh, very different rationales. Um, obviously, Blinken's trip has all to do with foreign policy, um, the relationship between uh, China and the U.S. Um, as you correctly uh, uh, remarked, this visit was supposed to take to happen, you know, quite a while ago. It did not for uh, the reasons that we all know about. So the timing at this stage is kind of, you know, incidental. Um, but it all has to do with uh, the relationship between the two countries. Uh, Jamie Dimon's trip uh, on the other side, first of all, is uh, happening pretty soon, whereas Lincoln is talking about later in the year. Uh, and it has to do, obviously, with business uh, considerations, much more than anything else. Um, he's not the first one uh, to uh, go uh, to China again uh, post-COVID. I mean, uh, Tim Cook was there. Um, some other business uh, people have uh, been in China uh, since the beginning of this year. Macron, the French president, famously took uh, a few dozen business people with him on his trip to uh, China about a month ago or last month. So I think that um, there's nothing to be seen uh, in you know the fact that those two people are going to China for very different purposes at very different times in the year. I see what you're saying. Uh, there was maybe could we look at this in in the context of some comments that Janet Yellen, the uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary, made a, a few weeks back about sort of a, a new kind of U.S.-China relationship, and then also in the in the context of an analysis I read recently saying that you know businesses were sort of one of the main drivers of of U.S.-China relations uh, for a long time, but that may be getting set for an adjustment and, and perhaps the voice of business might not have as big a say in, in driving U.S.-China relations going forward? You know, I think that uh, that Janet Yellen uh, kind of uh, stated the obvious in terms of what's been going on uh, and what is likely to go on in the future. 
the two countries are uh, obviously the two major powers in the world today. So it is extremely important that for the world that somehow they find a way to coexist and uh, and to uh, hopefully ensure that uh, the world remains at peace. So basically, you know, what she said is we want to have an improved relationship with China. We basically do not have any intention of constraining China, but this being said, we are strategically on opposite ends of how we look at the world, and uh, we, the U.S., will act accordingly to continue to shape the world in uh, our vision. So that um, is not really anything fundamentally new there. If you followed what has happened between China and the U.S. over the past uh, few years, but it was interesting that somebody at a relatively high level in the administration uh, felt the need to uh, come out and, and make a public statement about it. Uh -huh. On the business side, uh, yeah, I mean, the business relationship between China and the U.S. has, of course, uh, become uh, somewhat different from what it was, let's say, for the previous 30, 40 years, and, and it will continue to evolve. Uh, in large part because a lot of uh, companies in the U.S. have come to uh, the determination that uh, they should not have a very large amount of concentration of business interest in China, especially when you think about supply chain and the issues that resulted from COVID, at least for three years, and, and other ge and geopolitical considerations. Same in Europe, actually, but maybe to a smaller effect so far. Mm -hmm. So we have seen that at the same time as Tim Cook has gone to China and reaffirmed the importance of China to Apple, uh, Apple is obviously working very hard directly and with his suppliers to diversify its supply chain into countries such as Vietnam, but also, more importantly, geopolitically speaking, such as India, where, you know, lots of people have been surprised by quickly the uh, production of uh, Apple products in, in uh, India has been ramping up compared to initial expectations. So uh, that's what you have on the business front. And I think that the China market will continue to be very important for certain U.S. companies and European companies as well. But for others who are not really selling products in China, and depended on China for supply chain, uh, then uh, the decabinet is, is going to continue um, to take place. Okay. All right. Good, good uh, I guess, good way of looking at that. Um, all right. Like, next, let's look at some data from the five-day May Day holiday, which uh, occurred at the start of this month, and what it says about China's economy. The big travel data point saw China log a whopping 274 million trips over the holiday, which was up 19% from 2019 before the pandemic. But the picture was less rosy for real estate, with sales for the holiday period still down 22% from pre-COVID levels. So let's tackle the tourism number first, as that seems to be the most straightforward. I guess the big question here is really whether this kind of spending boom is sustainable or whether it's just a case of so-called revenge spending that's likely to fade as the pandemic becomes more distant. 
Well, it's um, obviously too early to tell, but uh, it's the notion of revenge spending is nothing new. Um, you know, people were expecting that uh, with respect to China because people have seen it in the U.S. and in other parts of the world after countries and markets reopened. So I would say it was to be expected. Um, this being said, I continue to hear from friends and relatives and, and contacts in China that the consumer is still extremely careful in terms of uh, discretionary spending, how much they're spending versus saving, and uh, what they're spending on. So um, it's, um, I think it's, uh, it's easy to understand that you know, people having been locked in inside China for and inside most of the time, their cities or their residences, for three years, they had this extraordinary, quite natural and totally understanding desire to get out and, uh, and move around and, and travel and so on. So um, that's, I would say, part of the course. Mm -hmm. Remains to be seen um, how things are going to evolve on the spending front, consumer side. Uh, in the months ahead. And as I said, I continue to hear comments that, to me at least, point in the direction of uh, much more constrained spending by consumers going forward, at least for a while, until maybe the economy really shows signs that it's kicking in and that people start feeling more comfortable spending again on a wider basis. Right. Okay. Well, that, that actually takes us into the, the second question, which is a different kind of spending, uh, real estate spending, which, you know, it costs a few hundred dollars to, to take a, a nice trip over the holiday, but uh, real estate's a bit more expensive and certainly a, a much longer term proposition. Um, so looking at the real estate market, uh, you know, holiday period is, I guess, a, a time when people like to go out home shopping or, or maybe it was, um, but it, it hasn't been showing the same sort of benefits from, you know, this kind of revenge spending as travel. You know, can you comment on, on why the dichotomy, I guess I've sort of given a, a, my view on it a little bit. Um, but why is property not doing as well as, as other forms of retail spending? And do you see any hope for this, this sort of embattled sector to, to bounce back anytime soon? Well, I think you gave away the answer already. And uh, actually, I agree with you. We're obviously talking about totally different ticket prices here, uh, <laughs> you know, spending on an airfare compared to throwing millions of uh, remedies at, um, at a uh, at a residence, at a place to live at. That's a totally different game, quite obviously. I think that uh, the fundamental reasons why uh, people uh, shied away from uh, real estate in China over the past two, three years have not really disappeared or been addressed by evidence that the prices have uh, come down into various uh, degrees, depending on locations and so on. Hmm. It still uh, obviously is quite a, a you know, very expensive investment. The cost of living, even though inflation in China is pretty subdued, unlike in the West, 
but uh, fundamental issues in cost of living, such as education, the cost of raising uh, children, and so on, um, are still there. Economic uncertainty, uh, people having lost their jobs because companies shrunk for economic reasons or regulatory reasons or whatever over the past two years in particular, um, that really has not changed. I, my understanding is that a lot of you know people in China, especially young people, remain very concerned about uh, the future, at least the short-term future, mm -hmm. uh, and what it means to their life. So until unless the economy really starts picking up and jobs get created again in, in fairly large numbers, raising incomes and, and, uh, and a lot of people, I don't think that we're going to see a major rebound in the property market. You sound like on the whole, you're, you're pretty conservative uh, for the rest of the year, uh, you know, for the general day-to-day -day consumer spending, but then even maybe more so for this big ticket uh, buying, I guess we could even apply it to cars. Yeah. Cars, any anything uh, costing more than, you know, a few thousand quai. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us this week. In our next program, we'll take a look at reports that Alibaba is going to spin off its international e-commerce businesses and list them overseas. And we'll also look at another great made-in-China business story. Uh, this one's involving a dust-up between new energy car maker Neo and a rogue blogger. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. Meantime, hope to see you all next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you all. <laughs>